This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 28, and we are recording on Tuesday, June 20th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Katie. Hello, Rincey. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, but I think I'm basically on the mend now, so that's good. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't sound any different to me, so. All right, that's good to hear. (laughs) But yeah, winter, I almost said winter cold suck. It's not winter. Summer cold suck. I know. But so like my plan for this past weekend that just happened was to just hide in my basement because it was like 90 plus degrees here in Chicago. So I was like, oh, I'll just sit in my basement all weekend and read. And then I got sick. And so I basically just did that anyways. Um, so I feel like it didn't really ruin my plans very much. So that was at least nice. Yeah, that's that's nice when you can get your illnesses to behave with your pre-established plans. Yeah, I was like, I was just going to sit and read all weekend, and I just listened to audiobooks, so that worked. Oh, gosh, that sounds awesome. No, I was going to say, no, I want a summer cold, but... I was just about to say, well, just get yourself sick. And then- yeah. <laughs> no, be careful what you wish for. No, <laughs> for I, I don't actually want a summer cold. I do want to be able to sit around and listen to audiobooks all day, though. Yeah. I'll have to work on that. Um, But anyway, welcome to... Welcome to our show if you are a new listener. Hopefully you have had the opportunity to sit around and listen to audiobooks all day, because that sounds splendid. Um, if you are a new listener, welcome. We t- I'm, our, our podcast is pretty simple it, in its mission. We talk about mysteries, thrillers, suspense, movie adaptations, upcoming releases, um, theme book lists, um, interesting genre questions. We will sometimes theme shows around listener uh, listener questions or topics that they have suggested to us. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag here, but we um, it's it's all mysteries and suspense. And with that being said, if you um, we always put this out at the beginning of every show. If you have any topics or themes or anything like that that you would like us to talk about on a future episode, please do reach out to us. We'll have all of our contact information at the end of the show. But we love hearing from people, A, to know that people are listening, um, but B, to hear about the things that you guys are interested in. And um, we've we've done several shows uh, so far that have been based around listener listener suggestions and questions. So um, we think that's a that's a really cool um, that, that adds a really cool element to it. So if you've got a burning question, if you've got if you if you're looking for suggestions on something, let us know and, we, and uh, your topic might may be featured in an upcoming episode. Um, but to kick off this episode, we've got um, there a lot of times our news items are like movie adaptations and or like new releases of stuff and we don't so much have have that this week but we've got some really interesting articles articles that we'll be linking to in the show notes but uh Rincey, I'll let you uh kick it off with with your first little news item. Yeah, so the first one I wanted to highlight is on the Hollywood Reporter. They just did basically like a roundtable Q&A type of situation with Amy Adams, Gillian Flynn and Marty Noxon. So Gillian Flynn is obviously a mystery thriller writer that we all adore. And Amy Adams is starring in the adaptation of Sharp Objects that is coming out in early July, July 8th on HBO. And so I know this is something that both of us are very excited about, uh, but this interview is pretty decent length and it's actually a really fantastic interview. They talk about Gillian Flynn's, not process of writing Sharp Objects, but sort of just the sort of how she came up with the story and even just trying to get it picked up by a publisher and the difficulty she was having with that because of the types of stories that were considered to be told about women prior to Gillian Flynn getting published. Um, And so she talks a lot about the difficulties that she had with that. And then even after getting published, figuring out about adapting it and things like that, she talks about really interesting stuff like how people wanted to 
adapt sharp objects for a long time, but everyone wanted to adapt it as like a horror uh, movie, not so much as like a suspense, like human investigation sort of story, which is what Sharp Objects really is. So um, again, there'll be a link to this in the show notes. I highly recommend going and checking it out. And then obviously they talk about the process of adapting it for HBO and then um, sort of like their all of the different components that went into that and sort of bringing it to screen and even just like Amy Adams sort of attraction to the role and things like that. But they talk a lot about just the way women are portrayed in stories, both book form as well as on TV and movies and things like that and why stories like this are so great because it explores even not just Amy Adams's character, but sort of like different generations of different types of women and people and all of their terribleness, basically, um, and the complicated nature of women and things like that. So yeah, it's a really, really great read. There's also some stuff in there about um, the Me Too movement and stuff like that, that I thought was really just great to read about from their perspective. So yeah, I highly recommend checking this out. And I'm sure that all of us will be watching Sharp Objects when it comes out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I've I have said it before. I don't remember if I've said it on the on the show or not, but Sharp Objects is my favorite Gillian Flynn adaptation or not adaptation. It's my favorite novel of hers. Um I mean, I love all of them and I'm, you know, I read The Grown Up her short story, which was really interesting, but Sharp Objects is just it's so nasty and it's so interesting. So I'm I'm really excited to um take a closer look at that interview cuz yeah, it touches on like all of the things that interest me in <laughs> mis- in mysteries, you know, complicated female anti-heroes and my favorite Gillian Flynn book and Me Too movement and all of, and all of that stuff. So that that's that's just touching on all the all the things that ring that ring my bells. So um I'll I'll be really interested to to look at that. Um and then in keeping with the theme of inter- of you know kind of thought provoking articles there was an article published very recently in the Guardian where they talked to three different authors about div- about the how the world of crime fiction is very much dominated by white white men um, both in terms of authors and characters, and about the and the the three authors that they that they um, talk to who are all um, authors of color and what how they are working to diverse kind of diversify the world of crime fiction and and what new perspectives their stories bring to the world of crime fiction. They talk to uh, the authors that they talk to are A. A. Dond, Steph Cha, and Alex Segura. And I'm not, I'm, I recognize a couple of the names. I'm not, I, I haven't read any of their books, but it's, it definitely touches on a topic that we are interested in and actually something that I was just mentioning to Rincey before we even started recording that, you know, there are some weeks when we're looking at new releases or we're, um, where we're looking at what books we're going to be talking about and just kind of realizing that there's, God, there's a lot there, a lot of these books are, it's very white. And that's not to say that individually these books aren't good, but collectively it's, it's a, it's, it paints a very non-diverse, uh, it's, it, it's a, makes it a very non-diverse genre and, which is a real shame because some of the most interesting mystery novels that, um, that I've read over the last couple of years, especially since I started, paying attention to the authors that were writing these stories. Some of my favorite ones have been have have been written by diverse authors because they bring such a such a different perspective to what we're used to. Um, but it's a it's a really interesting article. Um, I very much encourage everyone to uh, a take a look at it and then b take a look at the authors that you're reading and see um, if there are any authors of color, either the ones mentioned in the article or ones that we've talked about on the show or whatever that you might want to add to your own reading list. Yeah, I actually have Steph Cha's book checked out from the library at the moment. It's on my giant stack of books that I have checked out from the library. (laughs) But I'm hoping to be able to get to that one eventually. But yeah, that's a really great piece and I think does a good job of sort of highlighting the problem in the mystery book world because, yeah, it's it's so white sometimes. All right. And then the final news story that um, I just quickly wanted to mention is in the Chicago Tribune, I uh, saw that... um, 
for fans of Mickey and Murderer, the Netflix series, uh, Brendan Dassey's case, um, his lawyers are going to be trying to get the Supreme Court to um, look it over. Now, I'm going to just link to this because there's not a whole lot of like new information in this piece. Um, they basically just talk about what happened in Mickey and Murderer and with his um, confession and how um, many people think that his uh Confession shouldn't have been used against him uh, because they uh, said that he's like borderline intellectually disabled and was pressured into a false confession and things like that. Um, So, you know, it's not official that the Supreme Court is going to look at it yet. If they do, that'll be huge news. uh, And we definitely will mention that on the podcast if it ever happens. But obviously, the Supreme Court only hears like a certain percentage of cases that uh, they get asked to cover and things like that. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Um, Otherwise, if the Supreme Court says no, then whatever the final ruling was will remain the final ruling, which is is what it is. I mean, I'm not going to pass judgment either way on what happens because, you know, that's how the court system works. Uh, But yeah, just a small update for anyone who is a making a a murderer uh, fan or watcher. All right. So um, let me go ahead and do our um, our first sponsor. We are once again sponsored by Hangman by Jack Heath, uh, which is a new novel from Hanover Square Press. They have sponsored our previous, sh- um, I think our last show. But Hangman is an addictive debut thriller starring an FBI consultant with a peculiar taste for crime and punishment. A boy vanishes on his way home from school. His frantic mother receives a ransom call, pay or else. Enter Timothy Blake, an FBI consultant with a knack for solving impossible cases, but whose expertise comes at a price. Every time he saves a life, he also takes one. But this kidnapper is more cunning and ruthless than any he's faced before, and he's been assigned a new partner within the Bureau, a woman linked to the past he's so desperate to forget. So if you are looking for a new summer beach read, if you really like these police procedurals or these uh, these books with characters that that have a that are very complicated and have and have um, have a dark side to them as well, um, you might be interested in checking out Hangman by Jack Heath from Hanover Square Press. And we thank them again for sponsoring our, sponsoring our show. All right. So for our main discussion for this episode, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about what I call our wheelhouse phrases. Um, So this came about because I was actually reading, I think it was the Unusual Suspects newsletter, which is the mystery thriller newsletter that Jamie here at Book Riot puts together. And she described a book and used a very specific sort of like phrase that's almost like an immediate like purchase for me. Anytime I see like this specific phrase, which I will obviously mention in a little bit, um, it's sort of like, okay, I need to pick up that book because that's just like the one keyword that I need to hear to keep me interested. Um, So I just thought, so once I had realized that that book or that phrasing had done it for me, I realized that that would be sort of just like a fun topic to cover. Um, So just as a little teaser, Katie, do you actually want to go first and talk about what your sort of phrase or idea or topic is yeah um i actually i have i have a few um the i have one a main one that i'll talk about um i will say that um i i am i have become very skeptical when um publishers will say that a book uh is is for um you know fans of a particular author um I, because a lot of what they're, you know, they're, they're trying to drive sales. So of course, if it's a psychological suspense novel, it's going to be compared to Gillian Flynn or Paula Hawkins or something along those lines. Um, but when I, when I read a blurb where Gillian Flynn says that she really loved a book or Tana French really loved a book, um, I am, that's almost a guarantee for me to pick it up. Um, if they, um, yeah, especially those those two authors. If if I see if I see their name on the back of the book on the back of a book that they really liked it, I'm almost guaranteed to pick it up. Um, but the in terms of themes or descriptions, um, if a if a book has focuses primarily on like really dysfunctional families, and I don't mean like oh the amusing kind from you know the Stephanie Plum series or the Spellman files or anything like that. I'm talking about really really dysfunctional messed up families that for whatever reason is my catnip. 
I don't know why. Um, I did not come from a messed up dysfunctional family. So mom and dad, if you're listening, I, I don't think you're messed up and dysfunctional. <laughs> Disclaimer. Um, but those, I mean, maybe it's because I did come from, you know, a a normal family for all intents and purposes that these stories are so compelling because they're so different from my own experiences that they just, you know, they just chill me to the bone. Like Sharp Objects I mentioned before, that is one of the most messed up families I've read about <laughs> in crime fiction. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I like, I, I'm drawn to it so much. Um, same with a book that I mentioned um, a few episodes ago, Mother, Mother by Corin Zalkus. Um, that one has a very uh, dominant, manipulative mother at this at the center of the story. Um, but to talk about a couple of other books that that I have read that really seem to fit the mold. Um, one of them we have we have mentioned on the podcast before is My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oinkin. Braithwaite, I know I mispronounced that, so I do apologize because I do this. I just want to do this book justice. It is so amazing. It doesn't come out till November, so I I deeply apologize to everyone who can't run right out and get this book. But I just I finished reading it in the in the last two weeks since since we recorded our last episode. It is such. It's a tiny novel. I mean, it's, I mean, the, the book itself is small and it's just over 200 pages. So, I mean, and it reads so fast, but in this tiny story, there are just so many layers. And the, I mean, the title of the book kind of indicates what the story is about. The main character uh, is worried that her sister is a serial killer because uh, her sister has managed to murder her last three boyfriends. She claims it is in self-defense, but she exhibits other, she exhibits other uh, unnerving tendencies in her everyday life in, in terms of not really understanding how, like, not really exhibiting or displaying emotion, not understanding when, you know, when when her most recent boyfriend, um, when she kills her most recent boyfriend, she uh, puts on this online, or she goes online and, uh, and goes with the story that he's missing and she's worried about him and all this stuff. Um, but then she, like, you know, goes around and starts, you know, doing really, you know, really happy, fun, like, Instagram and Snapchat posts and stuff. And her sister has to be like, hey, 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 you're supposed to be mourning this guy who you've said is missing and who you actually killed. So let's, you know, let's let's play the part a little bit. Um and the descript the the book itself it just has so many layers and it talks about family loyalty and gender roles and um and just like human emotion and you know the ties that we have to people and like the masks we wear for different for different people in our lives and it just packs so much into this tiny little space and it's it it just has an ending that you, this would be a great book for book groups because there would be so much to talk about um but the the most interesting dynamic by far is the dynamic between the two uh, be- between the two women who are in their in their mid to late twenties, I I think, um, but just how they interact with each other and how the main character like how she gets drawn into the these you know these situations that her sister uh, basically forces her into when she murders her boyfriends. Um, but it's you know, it's just so fascinating. Um, and that's my sister, the serial killer by. Oinkin, Oinkin, Braithwaite, um, and then my my other suggestion because I couldn't pick just one <laughs> um, is actually a YA novel called My Sister Rosa by Justine Larbalestier or Larbalestier, um, which base it sounds like a Law and Order SVU episode, but the main character is seventeen and he has a ten year old sister named Rosa, who he is genuinely worried is a psychopath. Um, and she, because he, she exhibits a lot of the same uh, tendencies that I mentioned from the previous book, you know, not really understanding human emotion, very manipulative, seems to, she seems to find 
some kind of joy in harming other people um, or it, or really manipulating them to get what she wants at the expense of other people's happiness or safety. And it's it's a premise that could really very easily just go into that could just be totally overblown and could be really melodramatic and over the top. But she really creates a, a, she, the author really creates believable characters and a really, and because the characters are so believable, the situations and the story itself is very chilling. Like, what do you do if you think, you know, your younger sister who you have, um, who to some extent you're in charge of, you know, you're in charge of looking after her while, you know, your parent, while the parents are at work and they're out of school, you know, what do you do if you're genuinely afraid that she's going to harm someone? And it's, it's just, it's so interesting. It's really, yeah, it's really, honestly, like, th- these are the type of types of books for me that really border between psychological suspense and horror. Like, even though there's nothing supernatural in it, they're, those, these stories, for me, are really horrifying. Um, but it's just such a fascinating, um, nuanced look at, at this premise. Um, and yes, and it's just, it's such a good book. It's a book I definitely want to reread at some point. And again, that's My Sister Rosa by Justine Larbalestier. Yeah, that sounds really good. I would actually really like that. And obviously, I talked about My Sister Sarah Killer last week, and I absolutely raved about it. It's definitely like one of my favorite books that I've read so far this year. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're like Jamie and Rincy and I are making it our mission to get everyone to read this book. So you're going to be hearing you're we're going to be talking about it a lot. <laughs> so I mean, you might as well just pre-order it now. Just just, just, just trust it. us on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for me, um, my wheelhouse phrase are sort of like my trigger phrase almost is like if someone compares a book to Veronica Mars now. I say that with the caveat knowing that a lot of times, similar with like Gillian Flynn or similar like Gone Girl or something along those lines, like obviously like I recognize that these phrases or in these descriptors are often coming from marketer marketing people and they're just trying to sell you books. But it's specifically when someone has read the book already and then uses the phrase Veronica Mars to describe a book that I like get really excited. So the... Uh, description or the book that got described that way is the undead girl gang by lily anderson which came out earlier this year this is a young adult book um, and it got described as veronica mars meets the craft which i think is just a fantastic combination of two potential pop culture things um and so this book is sort of like well, it is fantasy slash paranormal, uh, but it's also a mystery book. And so you are following this girl named Mia Flores, who is in high school, and her uh, best friend Riley has just been found dead. And so people think that Riley committed suicide because she was just found in the creek. Um, but Mila knows that like Riley would never be near the creek at all. Like there's no reason why she would ever go down there. Um, so she's like convinced that someone has murdered her, um, and. Riley's death is actually the third girl from their high school who has been who has died and within the past like I think it's like a week or two weeks or something along those lines the previous two girls were apparently found hanging and it's said that they like died in like a suicide pact um but so in order to sort of figure out what happened to Riley um Riley and Mila were both Wicca Wiccans I don't or they're witches they believe in Wicca I don't know how the phrasing of that goes I apologize um and so she decides that she is going to do a spell in order to bring Riley back to life so that way she can figure out what exactly happened with her death um something with the spell goes wrong and she ends up bringing back all three of these girls um so the thing about Riley and Mila is that they were not popular girls at all like they were each other's best friends and only friends and that was basically it um, and then the other two girls who she brought back to life were actually like extremely popular girls and so the three of them were never or the four of them were never friends at all and so it becomes it it's this interesting dynamic of when they're brought back to life they don't originally realize that they're dead and also um, then they are forced to only like deal with each other um 
because obviously they're dead, so they can't like expose themselves to other people and things like that. And it becomes this interesting sort of story of both like trying to figure out the mystery of what happened to these girls, but also sort of that interesting dynamic of like teen girl groups and things like that and popularity and unpopularity and just high school life and things like that. Um, So one of the reasons why I really like the Veronica Mars sort of trigger is because I really like teen female protagonists in terms of or detectives however you want to say it like obviously when they're teenagers they're never really like official detectives but I like it when they're sort of the protagonists because I always think that there's some really interesting stuff that you can explore there in terms of like being a teenager and the complications of just being a teen Um, but also I think it's partially because when I was a child I wanted to be like sort of like a teen detective. Like I was obsessed with Harriet the Spy, as I'm sure a lot of other people were as well. Um, And then like Veronica Mars was sort of like the ultimate version of that for me. Like I was already in high school, I think, when Veronica Mars first came out and I watched it immediately and loved it from the very beginning. And so like that sort of that's sort of like my ideal, like in a world where I was brave enough to actually go out and solve crimes on my own I would basically try to be Veronica Mars um so whenever a book is described as having a Veronica Mars sort of idea to it um I will 100% gravitate towards it um so other books have often been described that way um another one that I've mentioned in the past is Goldie Vance, which is a comic book series that I absolutely adore. I believe I talked about this in our comic book episode. Um, and so I'm not going to talk about it too much here, but that one has been described as Veronica Mars meets Nancy Drew. And Nancy Drew is also kind of a trigger for me in terms of like making me want to pick up a book, but it also just depends on how they handle the Nancy Drewness because Nancy Drew, like even when I was reading Nancy Drew as a kid, I recognized how like formulaic and slash potentially boring it could get um just because like there's a very clear outline that every nancy drew book follows that even as a child i could see it but i still just enjoyed them so so much because i loved seeing these young girls solve mysteries um so if it gets like a little too formulaic then i don't tend to love it that much but usually again nancy drew is just a marketing code for a young girl solving mysteries, which I am always here for. Um, So yeah, that's basically like what my main sort of keywords are that I absolutely adore. And speaking of Nancy Drew, a comic book that I that I just found out about literally the day that we were recording this is there's apparently a new Nancy Drew comic book that has come out from Dynamite uh, Comics. So if you are a Nancy Drew fan and you read comic books, I highly recommend checking that one out. That's another one I found out about because of uh, Jamie over here at Book Riot. She posted about it in the mystery newsletter, which again, you guys should be subscribed to that because she talks about lots of great books in there. Um, But yeah, she, when I posted about it on Twitter that I was very excited about this because I had no idea that this existed uh she said it was like nancy drew with i know what you did last summer sort of twist to it and i was like holy cow you are like killing me with these references because this is everything that i love um so that's a comic book i will probably be picking up i was almost went to the comic book store today but i didn't have enough time after work and be able to get home for recording and things like that but i'm definitely going to the comic book store this weekend to pick up the first issue because only one issue out um and i don't know if i'm gonna read it in issues or wait till it's out in trade but i don't know if i can wait so i might do like the first arc in single issues we'll see what happens i'll talk about it if i read it that's that's for sure (laughs) Is that the one that said it's like Nancy Drew gets a queer makeover? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, cuz I saw that too and I and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really interesting." <laughs> yeah, and like if you google it, um or I'll include a link in the show notes, like um if you go to the Dynamite website, they have a couple of pages up so you can get a sense of like the art style and like the writing style even things like that so um i will link to that for sure um so you guys can check that out and i highly recommend checking it out even just for like the cover cover like i mean they have like alternate covers too but they the cover is done by um annie Wu. i don't know if you follow comic books you know who that is she has a really great art style she did one of the covers and it looks so good and just like i don't know i'm i'm i haven't even read it yet and i'm like already super hyped about it so yeah You know, and it's it's funny because just kind of going going on a Nancy Drew tangent here because I've said before I was I was a huge Nancy Drew kid when I was like you know nine ten um, in into middle school, and 
it's funny because I think in like the original Nancy Drew stories, she's like perpetually 18, I think. Something and, like that. Yeah. And when I was reading them, you know, as in middle school, it's like she was like Detective Barbie for me. Like, yeah, that's kind of what, like, but she felt like an adult. And now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she was 18. She was a tiny child. <laughs> And so when I see some of these, like, oh, Nancy Drew gets a makeover, like, I'm still, like, I'm still stuck in that Nancy Drew is, like, perpetually, like, that that weird mystical adult age where you're not quite sure how old they are, but you know that they're just more adult than you are. Yeah. Um. So when I see them, like, I remember when the first Nancy Drew movie came out with Emma Roberts in it, and I was just like, no, she's too young. She's, like, baby Nancy Drew. But, you know, honestly, I mean, Nancy, I mean, Nancy Drew at 18, I mean, that's not... Not, I, and again, when taking into consideration when the books were first written, eighteen was was very much more of an adult age than it is now. But it's it's kind of weird for me to see Nancy Drew kind of go through these age transitions. Yeah, for me, like I always imagined Nancy Drew as like I think like seventeen, eighteen, something like along those lines. But when the Emma Watson Emma Watson Emma Roberts movie came out uh she definitely looked too young because to me Emma Roberts well recently she looks older but I feel like when she did that movie she looked like she was 13 and I was like you're you look way too young for this part I'm sorry yeah and then and to go even deeper down the rabbit hole 13 babysitters club and babysitters club mysteries those girls were like 11 to 13 and I'm like no they weren't No, they weren't. They were, again, in that perpetual, they are older than me and therefore more adult than me. They were not, you know, I think I think of the 11 to 13 year olds that help at the library and I'm like, mm, no, I don't think Babysitter's Club would work nowadays. <laughs> All right, well... <laughs> Uh, feel free to let us know what your wheelhouse phrases are. Maybe one of these that we talked about are your wheelhouse phrases or sort of the themes that you like a lot in your stories. I'm sure you'll be hearing lots of uh, book recommendations from us in future episodes that fall into these categories too. But yeah, we probably could have done a number of different phrases or categories because even when you were mentioning um, Gillian Friend and Tut. Flynn and Tana French. I was thinking about how if like Attica Block Lock ever blurbs some anything, I will one hundred percent pick up that book. She because she doesn't blurb a lot either. I don't think. All right. Um. So before we move on to the new releases, I have our next sponsor spot, and it is once again Hangman by Jack Keith, which we have talked about at the top of this episode. Uh. This is, again, just a really great sort of different take on a crime novel. This puts a really dark twist uh, that makes it darkly thrilling and compulsively readable. This book is being pitched as for fans of Dexter and Hannibal uh, with that sort of like really compelling protagonist who has this darker side that you know you shouldn't be okay with, but you still really can't help but love the main character um you know those dark and irresistible anti-heroes who know a lot about the criminal world uh because they have a lot of first-hand experience with it i personally was a big fan of dexter the tv show and i really enjoyed sort of the interesting twist um that they put on sort of like solving crimes and mysteries and even just morality and things like that. Um, So if you enjoy that stuff, I'm sure you'll enjoy Hangman as well. Um, This is also being said as for fans of How to Get Away with Murder, uh, because the same showrunner has been attached to uh, this project with the TV rights already sold to ABC. Uh, So if that gets picked up and you like to read the book before it gets adapted, then you can pick up Hangman by Jack Heath. Yeah, and I will mention again that I am a huge fan of the TV show Hannibal. So, I so yeah, the, if we're if we're talking about if we're talking about wheelhouse phrases, compare something to Hannibal, you have my full attention. <laughs> All right. So, uh, new releases this week. Um, we're going on kind of a psychological suspense kick here for uh, for books coming out the next couple of weeks. So, um, hopefully, at least one of these will uh, will get your attention, even if you're not uh, huge into psychological suspense. I do happen to be huge into psychological suspense, so I was I was um, kind of excited to read about all of these upcoming books. Um, but the first book is called Guilt by Amanda Robson. And that has, that was released um, this week, so you can pick this one up where um, wherever you normally purchase your books. 
and the the two main characters are Zara and Miranda, and they are twins, and they've always supported each other, but then Zara meets Seb, and everything changes. Seb is handsome, charismatic, and dangerous, and he threatens to tear the sisters' lives apart, but is he really the one to blame, or are deeper resentments simmering beneath the surface that the sisters must face up to? As the sisters' relationship is stretched to the brink, a traumatic incident in Seb's past begins to rear its head, and soon all three are locked in a psychological battle that will leave someone dead. But the question is, who? Um, and so this, uh, I was really drawn to the description of this book because with twins, with identical twins, there's the question of, is this really the person that we think th- that we think it is? You know, which one of them was actually killed? Um, you know, what's, um, or which, or which one is behind bars. Um, I shouldn't, that that was actually an incorrect plot statement. So, but you know, there's this question of kind of ambiguous identity, which, um, I think we saw, we used to see a lot of in stories, but not so much anymore. I think I, I think I talked about the, uh, Carol, Caroline B. Cooney, one a book involving twins in a, in a past episode that was, that was really silly. This one doesn't sound as silly. This one sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, but again, that is Guilt by Amanda Robson. Uh, the second book is called Providence by Caroline Kepnes, uh, which is also out this week. And Caroline Kepnes previously wrote a book called You, which I have read and is super interesting um, and super creepy because it's it's a very much a guy stalks a woman and and establishes a life um to a fake life to to woo her kind of thing which was really creepy but really interesting uh but this is her newest book again it's called providence and uh it features john and chloe who are best friends in small town new hampshire and they share a bond so intense that it borders on the mystical but before he can declare his love for his soulmate john is kidnapped and his plans for a normal life are permanently dashed Four years later, Chloe has finally given up hope of ever seeing John again, but then a few months before graduation, John reappears. But he's different now, bigger, stronger, with no memory of the time that he was gone. He wants to pick up where he and Chloe left off, until the horrifying instant he realizes that he possesses strange powers that pose a grave threat to everyone he cares for. Afraid of hurting Chloe, he runs away, embarking on a journey for answers. Meanwhile, in Providence, healthy college students and townies with no connection to one another are suddenly inexplicably dropping dead. A troubled detective prone to unexplainable hunches, Charles Eggs de, Bened- de Benedictus, which I think is the greatest nickname, Eggs de Benedictus, suspects there's a serial killer at work. But when he starts asking questions, Eggs is plunged into a whodunit worthy of his most outlandish obsessions. Um, this, this one I thought was really interesting because it has kind of that psychological suspense element, but it's also got a paranormal supernatural element with like these inexplicable powers. Um, that's, that seems really interesting. Um, it's, and it also makes a bunch of observations about human connection, how love and identity and how love and identity can dangerously blur together. So again, that is Providence by Caroline Kepnes. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. Um, the uh, the next book that I want to mention is Any Man by Amber Tamblin, the actress and um, and noted feminist and activist. Um, this book is set to come out on June 26th. Um, before I get into the description, um, there is, um, I am giving this a trigger warning for sexual violence and rape. Um and this is this is Amber Tamblin's debut novel, and it blends suspense, prose, poetry, and it it blends these kind of different different writing styles to give shape to uh, the narratives of victims of sexual violence, and it and it really shows how our society perpetuates rape culture. In the book, there is a violent serial rapist on the loose. Um, but it's a woman. She goes by the name Maud. She hunts for men at bars, online, at home. The place doesn't matter, and neither does the man. 
Her victims then must live in the aftermath of their assault in the form of doubt from the police, feelings of shame and alienation from their friends and family, and the haunting of a horrible woman who becomes the phantom on which society projects its greatest fears, fascinations, and even misogyny. All the while, the police are without leads and the media hound the victims, publicly dissecting the details of their attack. What is extraordinary is how, as years pass, these men learn to heal by banding together to find a space to raise their voices. Told in alternating viewpoints signature to each voice and experience of the victim, these pages crackle with emotion ranging from horror to breathtaking empathy. And I I find it so fascinating to have this story that you see so much in, whether it's crime fiction or true crime, a serial rapist um, and the stories of the sexual assault survivors being, um, you know, really being doubted and dissected, but it flips the gender roles on its head and the victims become the men. And so I just think this is so, this has the potential to be so interesting. So I'm, I'm really, and I'm really interested to see how, um, to see how she, how she, handles this this twist on the story um and again that is any man by amber tamblin and then finally we've got a true we've got a historical nonfiction to round things off this is called conan doyle for the defense the true story of a sensational british murder a quest for justice and the world's most famous detective writer by margalee fox um this is also coming out on june 26 and this is this it's a it's like I said it's nonfiction it's a really interesting chapter so to speak in the you know in the life of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and what we what we know about him um, he actually became a detective on a real murder case and. In the murder was um, in 1908, a, wom- a wealthy woman was murdered in Glasgow inside her home, and the police found a convenient suspect in Oscar Slater, who um, who was Jewish, he was an immigrant, and despite his obvious innocence, was tried, convicted, and sentenced to life at hard labor in a brutal Scottish prison. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he's already world famous. Sherlock Holmes is already, you know, known around the world. Um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle became outraged by this injustice and became obsessed with the case. And using the methods of his most of Sherlock Holmes, he goes through the trial transcripts, the newspaper accounts, eyewitness statements, noting the inconsistencies and fabrication by the fabrications by the police and the prosecutors. And then in 1927, his detective work ultimately won Oscar Slater's freedom. Uh, Margalee Fox, the author, is a longtime writer for the New York Times. And uh, she really immerses readers in the science of crime detection at the time and uh, illuminates uh, this specific moment in in forensic history when reflexive prejudice began to be replaced by reason and the scientific method. Um, And, of course, we know that these... Uh, unjust uh, imp- uh, sentences still carry on today, um, but this this is just such a such an interesting um, micro history of of in of a situation of an event that like I had no idea that this that this ever happened, and I'm guessing a lot of other people feel the same. Um, so again, the full title is Conan Doyle for the Defense: The True Story of a Sensational British Murder, A Quest for Justice, and the World's Most Famous Detective Writer by Marguerite Fox. And again, that comes out on June 26. All right, I need to pick up that one because I love Sherlock Holmes, and I feel like anyone. I mean, that just sounds super fascinating to see how Arthur Conan Doyle inserted himself in that case. So that is on my list now. All right. So to round things off, we are going to talk very quickly about what we've been reading and what we plan on reading soon. Um, So I haven't really read a lot of 
straight mysteries, thrillers, suspense books, really. Um, the one book that I do want to mention really quickly is that I read this book called Kingdom Cons by Yuri Herrera, which was translated into English uh, from Spanish by Lisa Delman. Yuri Herrera is a Mexican author, and I love his books so much. This is the third book that's been translated into English, but it's the first book that he ever wrote. Um so in this story, it's basically like a combination between a fable and a crime novel. Uh, it's a really short book. It's like 200-ish pages, if even that. I don't even – actually, I'm not even sure if it hits 200 pages. Um, and he always writes these like sort of short little novellas, but he packs so much into them. Uh, so in this story, you are following this character named – you get his name at the beginning of the story, but I don't remember what it is because he goes by the artist uh, throughout the story. And so the artist is a singer songwriter. He like performs songs at like the local bar. He's homeless. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot going for him. And then one day uh, the king comes into the bar where he's performing and he recognizes him and like does a really great performance in order to get on the king's good side. Um, and then the king enjoys the performance. And so later, uh, the artist goes to the king's castle to sort of like win favor and to become part of his court. And so he ends up getting in and like impressing the king and things like that. And so the king basically says like, you're allowed to hang out at the castle. And so the artist basically moves into the castle. Um, everyone in the court is completely unnamed as well. And they're just sort of uh, named by their occupation. So you have like the journalist and the jeweler. Um, there's someone that like the king is with and her daughter and things like that. And so you get to know all these different characters who are in the court. And so you're following the artist as he sort of observes the things that are happening in the court and sort of sees everything that's going down and then writes songs about it. Um, so the whole like sort of twist that you realize pretty early on is that uh, the king is actually like this Mexican drug dealer. And the court is basically just like his giant mansion and all of these people who are around him are either people who are part of his drug scheme or are people who he has like sort of under his thumb. So you have like the journalist who's kind of on the king's good side, but he's also sort of like watching how things go down and potentially doing like a profile on him sort of situation. Um, you have the other people who like run drugs for him. The jeweler is obviously someone who like makes jewelry for the drug dealer and things like that. And so obviously eventually things get, go wrong and you sort of see how things unfold. Um, but I really enjoyed it just because it's because it's told in this very interesting way as like a fable almost. Um, it has sort of like a dream-like state to it while you're reading it. It's one of those books that you like 100% can and should read in one sitting um, because again, if it has like this very dream-like state, so you want to like stay in that headspace the whole time while you're reading it. Um, and I think just sort of the commentary of like the drug lord lifestyle and things like that is always really fascinating to me um so if you like sort of like those darker grittier sort of stories and you like things that are maybe more on the literary mystery side um then i think that you might enjoy kingdom cons by yuri herrera and then if you enjoy kingdom cons by yuri herrera i highly recommend picking up some of his his other two books that have been translated into english because i love them all um so yes, that is the one book that I have finished so far. Um, and then in terms of what I'm starting soon, I don't know exactly what I'm going to read. Um, the one thing that I probably will read before the next time we record is I have a copy of The President is Missing by James Patterson and Bill Clinton sitting on my shelf from the library. Um, my library didn't add this book into its catalog until like maybe a week before it was coming out. I was checking it like daily just because <laughs> I knew that this was going to have a long hold on it. And I did not want to wait that long because I didn't know how long it would take. Um, so I was checking it pretty regularly. So as soon as I saw that it was on there, I put it on hold and by the miracle of the library gods, I ended up being able to pick it up on the day it came out. Um, and 
also by a miracle of the library gods it, for some reason it wasn't marked as like a new book so i had the full month um so it's crazy so it's due back at the beginning of july and obviously i cannot renew it because there are five bajillion holds on it now um so i need to read this book so that way i can talk about this book because i need to know how great or terrible or ridiculous or whatever it is i don't know i'm not going to pass judgment on it early i'm just going to go in and see what it has to present me because i am intrigued and as you're saying that right now, I'm logging into my account in the library to see where I am on the holds list for that book. Yeah, it's probably going to be a long, I mean, I don't know how, like my library, like the system is big enough that usually I don't have to wait like too long for books that take a long time, but I've never had to be on hold for a James Patterson book. So I don't know how bad those holds, I know that they can get pretty bad, um, but I don't know like how bad they get for my system, so... Yeah, because I, yeah, I had to, I mean, it, for us, it's just the one, um, we just have our, it's just our library. Um, so we don't get as many holes as like my home library, because yeah, I looked and there were like 90 people on the list. I'm like, holy cow. Um, that being said, I'm noticing as I logged in, because right now I'm, I'm on hold for the regular print, but they just added the large print version and lo and behold, there is no one on the holds list until now. I am now <laughs> first in line to get the large print version once it is done, uh, once it is finished being processed. So um, I will hopefully have that book in my in my grubby little hands soon. Um, but yeah, you really, I don't, like, you lucked out from the library gods, A, that you got in early on the hold shell, or on the holds list, and B, that it wasn't even marked as new. So I don't know how that happened, but clearly someone was smiling on you. <laughs> I know. It's like, I, part of me is like, oh, I wonder if someone knew it was me and was just like, we'll let this one slip through. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I'm, I'm excited. Library God smiled on me for that one as well um, for large prints. So I'll, I'm excited to see when that one comes in. Um, in terms of what I have finished, I anticipate I'm going to have a lot of you listeners hating me because I finished the new town of French novel that doesn't come out until October. Um, I and the and again, I because, you know, because I work in a library and because we all work for we all write for Book Riot, you know, for listeners who may not know, we get um, a lot of times we can get early access to books from the publishers, either in print, ARCs, um, advanced copies, or digital advanced copies. And somehow I managed to get a digital advanced copy of The Witch Elm by Tana French, and no one else at Book Riot did. And I'm not entirely sure how that happened. Um, but yeah, so I, I downloaded it, and I have two of my best friends who are very upset with me. Um, <laughs> But they get like this every time Tana French has a new novel out and I get to read it before they do. Um, but yeah, it's it's Tana French. It was amazing. Um, I obviously won't give away many spoilers or I won't give away any spoilers um, because I didn't know a whole lot going into the book other than what I learned from the just the general plot summary, um, which is the main it's a standalone um, novel and the main character, ultimately the, the crux of the story is that there is a skeleton discovered on the property of the main, uh, of the main character's uncle's family home. And I will not give any other information about where that goes. Um, I, will, I will say with this book, I think because it doesn't follow the Dublin murder squad, um, it takes longer to really get the story started. Um, because a, you're not familiar with, you're not already familiar with the characters and the dynamic between them and stuff like that. And B, because they're detectives, they can just kind of be plopped right into the middle of a murder investigation in the first chapter, and it makes sense. This one, there's a lot of kind of backstory um, that that all that has a that has a purpose. Um, but it it looking at my Kindle, I think it took maybe a third of the way for the, for the story to really get going when you know the skeletons discovered and stuff. So it, when you whenever you guys get a chance to read it, if you feel like it's like well this is interesting but it's not really going anywhere, I promise you it does. It will pick up, and then once it does, just hang on, clear your schedule, don't pick up the phone. Like you're gonna you're gonna want to block out some serious time for this. Like I. There was one evening, and 
uh, Blaine asked me, he said, well, how far are you? And I said, I'm a little over halfway. He's like, well, you're not finishing it tonight, are you? I said, no, I don't think so. I said, you know, from what I've, from my reading, how fast I've been reading previously, I probably won't. Yeah, I finished it that night. (laughs) I was up really late, but I couldn't put it down. I just, I couldn't. Um, And so now he's reading it and he keeps updating me with like, he's like, I don't trust all those people at the Ivy House. There's some there's some mad scrambles going on there and all kinds of hijinks and I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> so that so he's been giving me his his running commentary which involves like a, yeah, mad scrambles and hijinks and all kinds of shenanigans. So Is he reading a Scooby-Doo novel? Like what is happening? <laughs> no, that's just how he talks. <laughs> but I was like, well, that that's one way to put it. And so he's like I know there's a body that's supposed to, there's a skeleton that's supposed to show up somewhere. And so he's like side-eyeing all the characters. Um, an inj- I will say that even though it doesn't follow the Dublin murder squad, um, there, I mean, with the skeleton, there's a murder investigation that goes on. And so there are detectives that come from the, from the murder squad to, to uh, investigate what happened and interrogate the main character and all of that stuff. So it's like you're getting... It's like you're getting the investigation from the other side. And because I've read, because, you know, we've all read the, the, the Dublin Murder Squad series, like, I feel like, like, I was, I know, like, what kind of tricks they pull. And so when, like, they're doing their, their interrogations, I was like, don't trust them. <laughs> they are sneaky. So <laughs> that added a really interesting um, element to it that, that I really enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, so I read that. I read My Sister the Serial Killer, um, so, like, my reading just the last few weeks has just been killing it. Um, and then in terms of what I'm starting, um, I'm, I'm about halfway through um, this uh, memoir called Working Stiff, Two Years, 262 Bodies in the Making of a Medical Examiner by Judy Melanick, um, which is, it's it's really interesting. Um, if you're into forensics, um, or like, you know, kind of the nitty gritty details of that element of police investigation, um, or, um, or what have you, this is a really interesting book. Um, I do not recommend reading it while you are eating. Um, it's kind of gross (laughs) and especially in like, I I feel like I've got a pretty strong stomach for some of this stuff, and I've been listening to it while I'm driving to and from work, and there have been passages where I'm just like, "Ooh, that's nasty." <laughs> um, but she she talks about it very matter of factly because this is you know her day in day out basis. But you really get the ins and outs of like how an autopsy works or what happens when a body decomposes. Like um, if you've read Stiff by Mary Roach. Um, this has kind of the same types of details. Again, also not a book you want to read while you're eating. Um, I will give a small, um, heads up. There, um, there are a couple of brief parts in the early parts of the book where she talks about her history, um, and she mentions that her father died from suicide. There are a couple of comments that she makes about suicide that some readers may, uh, have trouble with that are a little problematic so far they it it's not like a running theme throughout the book they're just kind of comments thrown in there but they may be they may be upsetting for some readers so i just wanted to give you that heads up if that's something that you are particularly sensitive to um just be aware that that's in there but again it's not a huge part of the book um and overall it's it's really interesting um, and then I have started I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. And I have Rinsey, I was tempted to text you and be like, hey, can we reschedule this podcast recording? I need to keep reading this. So that just tells you how fascinating that book is. And it's so far, it is every bit as interesting and creepy and terrifying and ugh that everyone has said has said it is. And I plan to, when I finish reading the book, I plan to go back and look through the, um, and find the news articles from a couple months ago when they caught the, uh, the Golden State Killer. Um, and to just kind of have that extra element to it. And, yeah, have that extra um, information when I finish reading it. Um, but, again, so the first book was called Working Stiff by Judy Melanick. And second book... We've talked about a billion times. I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. 
Yeah, I'm very upset that you've read the new Tana French. I'm not going to lie. So. I'm sorry. Don't hate me. <laughs> it's okay. It's not your fault that you somehow got access and no one else did. I mean, I legitimately couldn't even find the galley online. I, they hit it so hard. And then, like, by the time you had said you had gotten approved, they had already, like, taken it down. So you legitimately, you, I had the library gods smiling down on me for James Patterson. You had the galley gods smiling down on you for Tana French, which personally I would rather have had the Tana French. Well, look, I, I am dead serious. When Blaine is finished, if you want to borrow my Kindle, you I will let you borrow my Kindle. Honestly, I'm, I really do think I'm going to take you up on that when he's done. <laughs> I don't think I can wait, especially when you were talking about it. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I yeah, that offer stands. We live close enough that it's like, okay, time for us to finally meet in person. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, when that happens, that maybe that'll be the theme of the episode. <laughs> it was like when we finally meet in person. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening and hanging out with us. Um, for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen and head over to the Red or Dead page. We'll have links to the articles we talked about at the top of the show, as well as to all of the books that we talked about here in this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. So that way other people can find out about us and check us out and join this fun little community that we have going here. Um, if you want to email us, whether it be comments about the show or, you know, you want to tell us your wheelhouse phrases or you want to recommend some show ideas, you guys have been sending in some really great stuff and we are always happy to hear more about what you might want us to do in a future episode. You can email us at redordead at bookriot.com and then Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I am on Twitter at KT underscore Library Lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.